Um, Obadiah. <clears throat> what a what a neat little book this is. I really have enjoyed this, probably because it's so short I can get my mind wrapped around it. Some of these other books, you know, are so long that uh, it's hard to keep the focus. But Obadiah is such a, a, a you know, the shortest book in the, in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, the first, the first thing uh, that, that really sticks out to me, and, I, and I, I really like this, is just his name. The fact that it, his name means servant or worshiper. Of Yahweh, and and you know, what a what a thing for us to emulate. What a thing for us to to have when our days are all uh, finished. That that they would say that that person was a servant, a servant or a worshiper of Yahweh, of the Lord God Almighty. But that could be said of me, of you. Uh, that is something else. So uh, so I've got a new program that we're just going to call everybody Obadiah until it sticks. And then maybe we'll be like Obadiah. See, they used to call people, names had much more meaning than they do now. Um, I thought I heard my wife call me rich today. Maybe I didn't, but I could swear she did. And I said, my name is not Rich. My name is Richard. <clears throat> That's what my mother calls me. I don't know where the rich thing started, but it really doesn't. The point is, it really, there is no point. <laughs> no, the point. The point is, I'm not very rich, so you know, the name really doesn't have a lot in common with who I am. I'm rich in faith and rich in the blessings of God. But back then, names had a lot of significance. And they would name somebody that because they wanted them to see them be a servant and a worshiper of Yahweh. And that's why they would give that name. Uh, it's very powerful. So we looked at really the first uh, section really dealt with uh, the pride of Edom, right? Esau, the brother of Jacob, and, you know, he had this whole pride thing happening that God, we saw that God will humble the proud, and that pride is so deceptive and that, that we all have to watch out for it, and we all need to learn how to humble ourselves because pride is always right around the corner, Second section there, verses 10 through 14, really this question, how long can you hold a grudge? And yes, Esau's brother had ripped him off, so he had good reason to hold a grudge. But seriously, over 1,100 years you're going to hold a grudge? Seriously, that long? I think 11 minutes is probably too much. Ezekiel chapter 35 says it was an ancient hostility. I mean, we hold on to these things until, you know, when we pass them on to the next generation. Obviously, they had to do that for it to last 1,100 years plus. They had to pass it on. And we do pass these grudges and these, these resentments and these anger issues on to our, our descendants. The answer, of course, is forgiveness most powerful force of all in the scripture forgiveness where we're forgiving that we should forgive others right so today I want to look at the last verses there and we'll finish the book of Obadiah uh, verses 15 through 21 when it's all said and done when it's all said and done let's read those verses together verses 15 through 21 he says there the day of the Lord is near for all nations 
As you have done, it will be done to you, and your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And this company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath, the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the towns of the Negev. And deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And the final statement there, the statement really that stands out to me is, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. God will prevail. God will prevail. He says there that, that there will be a day of reckoning. The day of the Lord, verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. And, and you know, we, we look at what's going on and it, it really is it's frightening. It's scary in a lot of ways. We look at what's going on with all the nations of the world, with all what's going around the, on around the world. And, and it, it, you know, I'm so glad to be here in America. We're fairly safe. We're fairly, uh, you know, uh, protected here compared to many other places. But, you know, in the end... God is going to get the victory. And as he says there, the kingdom will be the Lord's. God will prevail in the end, and, and we have to kind of hold on until then. But he says that the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. There will be this settling up. And when it's all said and done, God will prevail. Warren Wiersbe said, he said that this day of the Lord, it describes the time when God will pour out his wrath upon a wicked world judge the nations, and then establish his kingdom, thus fulfilling the promises made to Israel. He said that, that it's all going to come to pass. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. Well, how near is near? We don't know. I, I really like the word imminent because imminent means that it could be at any time. It may occur at any moment, and, and you and I need to be ready. I, I think what we do know for sure is that it's nearer now than when we first believed. And that every day brings us closer to the time when God will prevail, when the kingdom will be the Lord's. He says there that all nations will be affected and none will be exempt. That includes the USA. Ezekiel said it there in, in chapter 30, verse 3. He said, for the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. A day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. And we look at that and we say, well, you know, near, you know, is, that's kind of a relative term, isn't it? How near is near? Well, you know, relative is, is true because relative to eternity, near is, is a very short time. Could be, a, could be a, as Peter said, a day uh, with the Lord, a thousand years is, a, is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. But in relation to eternity, it's a very short period of time. But know this, 
The kingdom will be the Lord's, and God will prevail. One, uh, one man who I, I like, uh, he wrote an excellent commentary about this little book, Obadiah, um, James Boyce, who was down in Philadelphia for many, many years. And he said that this is the sense in which God's judgment is near, not only to nations, but to every one of us. He said, there are times when things are quiet and we do not anticipate the judgment so much. At other times, we hear of wars and rumors of wars. The sea of the nation is troubled. And we wonder if God's final intervention in history may not be just around the corner. That's kind of how I feel right now. The waters are all stirred up. But we've been through times where it's been very quiet. He says, we become anxious. He says, but notice, judgment is no less near in quiet times than in stormy ones. And at any moment, God may set the wheels of his final reckoning in order. And that is why we must prepare for the day of the Lord and be ready through faith in Jesus, our Savior. Jesus himself said, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You and I need to be ready. We don't know how near it is. But at any moment, things could change. And, and as these waters are stirred up even now, it does make, make us feel anxious. But the time is near. I want you to turn back with me to the book of Joel. Just a couple of books back. We looked at that some time back. But <clears throat> the same message is, is found throughout these uh, books of prophecy. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is close at hand. Again, there's a sense of, of imminence that, that we need to understand that the time could be very, very short. We don't know how long that is, but we need to be ready at, at every time for, for the Lord to, to do what he wants to do. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 31. He says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, great, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do we prepare for this day? We call on the name of the Lord now. Not then. It's too late then. That little book of Zephaniah, actually the larger book of Zephaniah, says the great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. There was this message, there was this sense among these prophets that, that God is, is going to do something. The day of the Lord is coming. And we don't want to be like the ones that Peter was talking about saying, you know, it's been so long and we've waited so long, so many years. I've been a believer so many years and, and I don't see it coming yet. We don't want to be like Peter, like the people Peter was speaking about. But know that the patience of the Lord, what is it? It's salvation. That, that God is he, he's allowing this time for people to turn and call upon the name of the Lord, as it says there in Joel. How much time is is too much when we're talking about the people that we love, the people that we pray for. 
our family, our, our, our friends, the people we work with, who, who we have a connection to. How much time is, is enough? You know someone who isn't a believer, and, and, and we should be worried about them. We should be anxious for them. Because, because when that day comes, it will be too late. Moving on back in Obadiah, in the second half of verse 15, he, he talks about this principle. And really it is this unchanging principle that we reap what we sow. He says there in verse 15, the middle, he says, As you have done, it will be done to you. And your deeds will re- return upon your own head. Speaking about Edom, speaking about Esau and the fact that they were persecuting, they were actually doing damage to the people of Israel, the, the people of Jacob and Joseph and, and God's people. He says you're going to reap what you sow. That's a spiritual principle that we just cannot get around. It's a spiritual principle. In fact, as we read these verses in Galatians, says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will will reap eternal life. God cannot be mocked. We can't say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter the kind of seed that I sow. It doesn't matter if I don't uh, call upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter if I don't give my life to Jesus. It doesn't matter if I don't live for Jesus. It does matter. It comes back to us. It's, a, it's an unchangeable principle. It's a powerful principle that we need to keep in mind. I remember reading years ago, uh, there was a book, and I can't remember if I read the book or not. I probably should have. It says, do yourselves a favor, love your wives. And the point is that, that you reap what you sow, and, and, and you love your wives, it's going to come back to you. And that's what he talks about in, in uh, Ephesians as well, that as we love our wives, it comes back to us. We're going to reap what we sow. Okay, I'll go read the book. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That chapter, the context, he's talking about those that that gave. Okay, but I think the principle applies to not just finances. It applies to everything. It applies to, in a marriage, somebody who, a husband who loves his wife. If he he loves just a little bit, just going to get a little bit back. You love a lot, you're going to get a lot back. It's a spiritual principle. We can't get around it. It's interesting he has it embedded here in in this little prophecy of Obadiah. That the way they lived their lives, the way that their attitudes and their hearts were, this pride, this grudge, this resentment that they had, he says, it's going to come back on you. You need to deal with these things. You and I face those same things, you know. We're not so much better or different than Esau, Edom. You know, we got pride. Well, I did last year, but I I don't this year. Did I mess that up? You know, we all have that little pride thing happening, and, and then this resentment, we get hurt, and we hold on to it, and we don't forgive. 
and all comes back to us. But when it's all said and done, the, the Lord God Almighty will prevail. He says, but on Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. Verses 16 and 17. He says in verse 17, It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. There will be judgment that comes on God's enemies. It's a, it's a, we see it throughout the Bible. God will do what God needs to do. But there will also be this blessing on God's people. When it's all said and done, God will prevail. Look at the end of verse 18. It says there, the Lord has spoken. He speaks about this judgment on the house of Esau. He says, the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. Those are words I think we should pay attention to. Because we need to pay attention to God's word. And, and God will always keep his word. God will always keep his promises. The Lord has spoken. That's why we need to know this book. You know, uh, there's so much attack on this book, so much wanting to put this book aside, so much wanting to just get into stories and fables and everything else. But we need to know what the Lord has said. That's why we call it God's word. Because the Lord has spoken and he's given it to us. And we have a copy of this book. There are people that give their lives so that we could have a copy of this book. They gave their lives, I should say. There are people around the world that are giving of their lives so that others that do not have this word can have this word. The Lord has spoken. The question, I think, is always, is always true. Is are, are you and I listening? Are we wanting to hear what God has said? One, one thing that I think applies in this situation, I want you to turn back with me to, to Genesis chapter 12. This goes way, way back. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is another word that the Lord has spoken. This is well before there was ever an Esau, an Edom. Before there was ever a USA. Before there was any other, any other nations that you and I would know today. He says in Genesis chapter 12, speaking to Abram, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's another word that the Lord has spoken. Another word that God has given to us, that to Abraham and through Abraham to Isaac and through Isaac to Jacob, the nation of Israel, he says that those who bless them will be blessed. Those who curse them will be cursed. This specific prophecy here in the book of Obadiah is specifically speaking about Esau and Edom who were persecuting attacking, taking advantage of, holding this uh, ancient hostility to the nation, the people of Israel. There's still a principle that applies today for you and I. That what we just read there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Why do you say that? I, I think it's true. It's a principle that God gave. It's a promise that he gave. And if you look, if you think about the very end of that verse 3, he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He's speaking of what? 
He's speaking of Messiah, Jesus, who came through the nation of Israel. Jesus came. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. I think often about that little country of Israel for a lot of reasons, but I think, it, I think that the Bible just kind of brings us back to that over and over. It kind of focuses on that tiny, tiny little strip of land there in the Middle East, and yet they're surrounded by all this animosity, all this anger, all this hatred, all this resentment, ancient hostility. But you know what? God has got a plan and a purpose for that little nation, that little people. It's amazing when you think about it. But, I, but I, I'm also fearful for our country because for so long we have been a supporter and, and we have been a backer of the nation of Israel. But I've, I see that changing. I see that lessening and weakening over the last how many years now. I think some of the things that scare me, you know, are the moral condition of our country is, is, a, is a huge thing. Monkeying around with the, with the institution of marriage huge, but I think when we, when we pull out of our support for Israel, I think then we better be careful. We better watch out. I think it's something we really need to be thinking about and praying for our leaders that they would keep that focus and support. That's a whole nother subject, but I think it's here because I think it, the context shows that this is what was happening there and, and this is why the judgment, the cursing was coming upon the house of Esau because they were cursing the people of God. Genesis chapter 12. Jump down to verse 21 there in Obadiah. He says, Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Really the final outcome of history When it's all said and done, the kingdom will be the Lord's. There's no way around it. The kingdom will be the Lord's. God will prevail. I think we have to know that. We have to trust that. We have to understand that in our hearts from cover to cover, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In the end, God will prevail. We look around and say, well, I see see so-and-so over here prevailing. I see this nation, that nation. How many of the nations that you see now were around 200, 300 years ago? Not many. All these kingdoms that came, you read in the book of Daniel, you know, this, this kingdom was there and then this kingdom and, and they all fell. They all fell one by one. And then, and then the march of the, of the end time, seeing how it, it all comes to fruition and then God sets up his kingdom. We pray that prayer, don't we? We pray, you know, thy kingdom come. If you learned it in King James... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. We pray that, we say that. We want God's kingdom to be here on this earth. We want God to be the king. But we look around and we say, well, it's not not happening. It's not, why do we we pray it unless unless we need it, unless it is a need in this world around us. But but you know, there's two things, and I want to say this. Number one is that, it already is, but yet it also will be. Both are true. You say that. How do you say that? Well, look at First Chronicles chapter 29. What does it say there? Yours, O Lord, is 
the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. It's not you will be. He said it is. So right now the kingdom is the Lord's. Whether we see it or not, whether we experience or not, or not yet in this world, in this life, changes nothing. Changes nothing. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Psalm 145, He said, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. God's kingdom is already prevailing. There is that sense that, that he is already in control, that he's already on the throne, that he's already in, ch in charge of all the nations and, and things that are going on. Now, you and I can't necessarily see that and understand that. I can't, anyways. But there will, a day, there will be a day when it will be in complete fullness and it will be obvious. Turn back to the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Not too far. Daniel chapter 2. And verse 44, he said, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. There will be a time when it all becomes obvious, when it becomes clear, when it's all said and done. God will prevail. One more passage to emphasize that point. Turn back to the end. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. <clears throat> Like I said, from cover to cover, it's, it's, it's obvious. There is a plan. There is a purpose. And God will work them all out. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Zechariah said it again. He said, The Lord will be king over the whole earth, and on that day there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. When it's all said and done, His kingdom will, pre will, will prevail. God will prevail, and, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. You know, we sing that new song today, you know, but when things are not looking so good, we know that, that we're not alone, that God is with us. But God will prevail. We've got to keep that in mind. We're on, the winning, we're on the winning team. We are on the winning team. Keep that in mind when things don't look like they're going your way or the way of the we, that we think they should go. We are on the winning team, and God will prevail. That's where our faith needs to be. Let's pray together, shall we?